You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Good morning, East Point Church. How are you guys? Good to be with you. Go ahead and open up your Bibles, please. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. So uh, toward the end of your, your Bible there, and then chapter 20 is the last chapter. And so this is the highlight of our week where we come together as followers of Jesus, as explorers, new to faith, wherever we are, but we come with this expectancy to go, man, God speaks to us every time we open his word. And so go ahead and open up the word there. Uh, If we have not had the privilege of meeting, my name is Sam, uh, and I get to serve here as the lead pastor, and we love it. My family and I, my wife's name is Jordan, and we have three beautiful boys, Micah, Everett, and Grayson. Uh, We've lived here on the shore for over two years now, believe it or not. Uh, And we have loved every minute of it. And we love getting to serve alongside an awesome pastoral staff with Pastor Daniel and Pastor Ronnie. Uh, We have three other elders besides myself and Chad, Roy, and Ty. And uh, man, just want you to know, we pray for you regularly. We regularly rejoice in just what a privilege it is to shepherd the flock of God, not under compulsion, but willingly as the Lord would have us. And so we just love you. And you need to know that. We love you today. So... Uh, To catch you up, uh, in case you're newer here, uh, we are in a series right now called Grow. And here's the gist. As followers of Jesus, we want to grow. We want to become mature. We want to grow every day more and more. And we believe that as God is growing us into maturity, the product is going to be that we look more like Jesus. Followers of Jesus looking more and more like the one that we follow, Jesus himself. And so that's what this series is about. And so for the last few weeks, we've talked about how we, we have taken a picture of a mature disciple. We have taken a portrait, and each of these traits, each of these values are things that Jesus himself embodies and then calls us to grow in, Okay. And so just to review, we started several weeks ago, and we realized that a mature follower of Jesus prioritizes Scripture. We don't don't read random verses in our Bible like the way that we do fortune cookies. You know what I'm saying? Anybody get that T2, General Tso's chicken, right? Get a little fortune cookie to feel good at the end, and then you call it a day, and you never think about it again. Unless you're one of those people who tape up the fortune cookies. How many of you tape up fortune cookies in your house anywhere? Come on, don't be ashamed. You have a collection of them. Yeah, me neither. So we don't. We don't treat the Bible like just random fortune cookies and well wishes and good sayings. No, if our life was a tree, the roots of our life draw its nourishment and strength from God's word. This is life itself. And so we want to grow in in our prioritization of scripture. After that, we looked to how Jesus, we realized that when he came to earth, he wasn't just saving random individuals and putting them on his trophy shelf of grace. He was building a family. Jesus is the head of our spiritual household. And so we, the more that we mature, the more we will prioritize the family of faith. The more that we will live lives that cultivate community. And so this is what Jesus did. This is what we want to do. 
We talked last week about how God has called us to pass on the faith. There is a relay race of the gospel that has been going on for 2,000 years, and mature followers of Jesus understand that we are called to pass it on to our children and to our children's children, right? And then today, I hope you guys wore your tennis shoes, hope you wore your sneakers, because today we're going to learn that followers of Jesus, mature followers of Jesus, engage the mission. We engage the mission. Jesus Christ was a man on a mission. Do you know that? Jesus was a man that when you looked at him, his life was dripping with intentionality. It was dripping with a sense of purpose. He was driven toward a specific end. And so we find, the, I call them these mission statements that Jesus made throughout his lifetime. Look what he says in John 6. He says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Boom, that's a man on a mission. My life is consumed with the desire to do the will that God has laid out for me. All right? That's my mission. Look what else he says. Luke 19, 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. For the Son of Man came to live on earth and see what happens. No. For the Son of Man came to, you know, live a few years and hope for the best. No. He came and he was driven by a desire to see those who were lost, those who were far from him, come back into the fold of God. Boom. He's on a mission. John 10, 10. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. There wasn't a day of his life that went by that he wasn't aware that those who were spiritually dead, those who were far from God, were the objects of his mission. And I came that the spiritually dead might be made alive. This is a man on a mission. Look, Luke 4.43. I must... Not if I get around to it. No, I must. This is the purpose of my life. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. He's a man on a mission. And then he's crucified. And he dies. And you think to yourself, mission over. Man, at least he got three years of, of a really good mission. And he says, ha, joke's on you, because even my death was part of the mission. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus dying on the cross wasn't the ultimate hurdle in an otherwise perfect plan. He says, even that was part of my mission. Jesus was a man on a mission. And so I don't think you would be surprised to learn that such a driven man, that, that, that such an engaged and intentional person has gone to great lengths to make sure that that mission carries on long after his time on earth has come to a close. Jesus has a plan, and I'm here this morning to tell you, friend, that you're a part of that plan. I'm here to tell you that regardless of your background, regardless of your age, regardless of the mistakes you've made in your life, regardless of the labels that other people want to put on you, regardless of all the insecurities that you think of in your head, Jesus calls you to be a part of this plan. He calls you to engage in a hope-inducing, life-transforming, eternity-shaping mission that is spreading over the globe. 
If you want to be living for something bigger than yourself, I have good news, friends. Jesus has called you to do just that. And so today, we're going to learn of his plan as we enter the last few moments of his life. Final moments on earth. His famous last words. We're going to tune into the story. And as we listen to Jesus right before he leaves, we realize, man, he has really created a plan to continue the mission. And so we're going to find it here. Are you ready? You guys got your Bibles open? You got your version Bibles out? Are we scrolling or flipping? Give me a little sign. Are you scrolling or flipping today? Okay. Can you do both at the same time? Woo! Look at that. You see that? That's called ministerial dexterity right there. Bah! Wherever you are, open your Bibles. Let's follow along. Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. Look what it says. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Father, as we open up our Bibles, would you open up our minds to hear you, to understand you, to see Jesus for who he really was. Change us this morning, we pray, Father, for your glory and for our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen, amen. So here's how we do it at East Point. We're just going to go verse by verse and see what's there, all right? Because it's like a goodie bag, all right? There's so much in here. So back to verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Let's pause there. And so we're at the end of Matthew's gospel account. We're at the point in the story where they have walked with Jesus for three years. He was betrayed. He's crucified. He's risen from the dead. Angels appear to the Marys at the tomb. And what do the angels say to the Marys? Tell your brothers to meet him in Galilee. Say he's not back. Brothers, Jesus is alive. And angels told us to tell you to meet Jesus in Galilee. And they're like, Mary, Mary, you guys just grief. Grief is an ugly thing. Guys, calm down. You're in denial right now. This is called bargaining. And all of a sudden, Jesus is sitting there. Poof, he's at the dinner table. He's like, pass the fish. And they're like, what is happening? And he goes, this is what I told you was going to happen, that I would raise from the dead on the third day. And so, hey, before I send you on the mission that I've been training you for, I want you to meet me in Galilee. That's twice now. He said, meet me in Galilee. So here we go. We are on our way to Galilee. It says, they went to Galilee to which Jesus had directed them. Do you know what Galilee is? Galilee is the place where it all began. Remember the good old days? Galilee was the place where Jesus called the first disciples. It's where Jesus drew his first crowds and the first miracles and the Sermon on the Mount. And you just imagine these disciples as they went to Galilee. I imagine maybe some nostalgia, right? Thinking back, man, remember what it was like when it hit us. He's here. 
the Messiah is finally here. Remember what it was like when we first realized that the movement was about to begin. When we first thought to ourselves, everything we've waited for is finally happening. The kingdom is here and the king is standing before us. Remember the pure optimism of those days in Galilee? Remember that pure optimism, that thought that it would be a straight shot from Galilee to the throne? Remember those days in Galilee when they still thought that he would be wearing a crown, not carrying a cross? Man, a lot has happened since those first days in Galilee. I don't think this was a nostalgic hike. I don't think this brought back a lot of good memories. I think as they walked to Galilee, they could still see in their mind's eye the violent crowds chanting, crucify him, crucify him. As they go back to the place where it all started, they probably can still hear the crack of the whip on Jesus' back. They still remember what it was like when they all scattered for their lives in the middle of the garden. Their Savior had been crucified. They are in hiding. The the movement is in question. The fate of the entire kingdom movement is shadowed in uncertainty and doubt. They are going back to the place of the glorious start. But they're limping. They're limping, friends. Their naive optimism has been replaced with a sober realism. And we know this because what does the author say? Look at this jarring comment that just, boom, it hits you like a left hook. He says, now, the 11 disciples. How many disciples are there? How many disciples are there? It's 12. 12 disciples all throughout the book of Matthew. The 12 disciples. The 12 disciples. Jesus and the disciples. Jesus and the 12. The 12 disciples. He gathered with the 12. 12 disciples. And then we show up here and he says, now, the 11 disciples. And this comment hits us like a ton of bricks because we realize, oh yeah, not even the core 12 are intact. Judas. Even the foundation that Jesus was building on seems to be cracked. Setback after setback after setback. And friends, if they didn't know it in those early days in Galilee, they know it now, and I'm sure you know it now. This movement will not be without struggle. The movement will not take place without struggle. And so even his disciples, they are limping so hard. The struggles have discouraged them so deeply that even when Jesus appears, the resurrected Christ appears in the flesh to them, it says what? But some doubted. We're used to the crowds doubting. We're used to those who don't want to count the cost doubting. But no, no, we're talking about the 11. Some of the 11 doubted. The struggle has been so real that they don't even allow themselves to feel hope. They don't even want to get their hopes up because they remember what it was like the last time they put their faith in it, the last time that they really allowed themselves to, to believe their leader was crucified. And so they're limping. And so what does Jesus do? He calls for a huddle. He gathered his disciples back to the place where it all started in Galilee. He brings them back to the place where they first caught the vision of the movement. 
He stands with them in the same place where their day one happened as if to say, yes, now you understand that this movement will not be without pain. Now you understand that this advancing kingdom will include struggle, but I want to restore to you the confidence and the enthusiasm that you still had on that first day when we got started in Galilee. Yes, you now know more. Yes, you're less naive. Yes, you've seen more things. But the confidence that you felt on that first day is still appropriate. In other words, undeniable struggle doesn't erase undoubtable victory. We can acknowledge the pain. We can be very honest about our struggles, very candidly, with sober minds. But don't doubt for a moment that the presence of struggle puts the kingdom in doubt. Why do I know this? Because right next to the 11 disciples, right next to the idea that some doubted, juxtaposed right next to these struggle statements, we find this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus says, I see the struggles, but listen, I have been put into the position of ultimate authority I have been given by my Father the throne, and heaven and earth are my jurisdiction. And so guess what? My mission will not fail, and my movement will not falter. Undeniable struggle, and yet undoubtable victory. They're side by side. And so which is it? Is it the 11 disciples, or is it Jesus is alive? Is it, is it oh man, some doubted. Or is it Jesus is on the throne? Friends, are we struggling or are we winning? Yes. Are we struggling or are we winning? And Jesus says the answer is yes. Undeniable struggle and yet undoubtable victory side by side. See, here's what happens, right? In 2023, we see struggle. We see opposition against Jesus and his kingdom, and we see, hey, another Christian leader fell. Another Supreme Court ruling. Another election cycle. Another dramatic and nasty feud in the church. Another Hollywood movie moving the needle of cultural propriety. And we see the kingdom seemingly taking hit after hit, and we can become alarmists. The sky is falling and the kingdom is failing. We become pessimistic. We become fatalist. And we begin to doubt the outcome of the mission. Hashtag only 11 disciples. And Jesus is reminding us, friends, no piece of legislation, no amount of talking heads, no elected officials, not even a Roman cross, hello, can stop the advance of God's kingdom. He goes, think about it, worst case scenario, even if our faith was outlawed, even if you and I were put in chains, he says the word of God is not bound and it will not stop. Paul was put in chains. So what happened? The jailers became Christians. There it is, right? Like the word of God is not bound. And so he says, yes, I see your undeniable struggle, but please, friends, it's not hashtag 11 disciples, it's hashtag all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me in 140 characters. Side by side, undeniable struggle doesn't erase undoubtable victory. 
Huddle up, he says. Huddle up. Come on, guys, get into Galilee. And they're like, okay. All right, you're, I see it. I mean, you're resurrected from the dead. Great, okay. All right, undeniable struggle, undoubtable victory. Great. So you're going to continue your mission, Jesus, huh? All right, Jesus, you got another three years in you? We're doing this thing again? It's no, no, no. Now that you have your perspective in place, now that your confidence has been restored, now that you understand that this is unquestionable victory for my kingdom, there's only one thing left to do. East Point Church, there's only one thing left to do. We have to realize that the mission is still on. The mission is still on. And so he continues, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He gives them perspective. He corrects their vision. He gives them strength, and then he gives them a single commandment. At the heart of these verses is one commandment, and it's this. He says, make disciples. Make disciples. He's telling the disciples to make disciples. What's a disciple? A disciple is a person who follows Jesus, is transformed by Jesus, and partners with Jesus. Very simple. A disciple is a person who follows Jesus. He's now Lord. Wherever he goes, I will follow the leader, the leader, the leader, following the leader, wherever he may go. I'm following Jesus. In the process of following him, I'm being changed by Jesus. This is a, this is a dynamic experience in my soul. Spending time with him makes me look more like him, and I'm also helping others. I'm partnering with Jesus, helping others follow him. And so we all know that. That's the definition of a disciple. Jesus has been making disciples his entire life, basically. But now he's saying to his disciples in Galilee, he goes, okay, you see everything I've been doing? They're like, yeah. You see how I've made disciples? Yeah. Do you think I'm good at it? Oh, yeah. All right, great. Your turn. Go and make disciples. Oh, <sighs> whoa, 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 time out. Jesus you must be hungry because you're tripping right now. Jesus, you forgot how this thing works. Like, you make disciples. It was you who called Peter and Andrew on the boat. It was you who called James and John. Don't you? It was you who found Levi, the tax collector, and changed his name to Matthew and made him a disciple. It was you. Don't you see how this works, Lord? Like, you're on that side of the desk. You know, leader, follower, disciple maker, disciplee. Jesus, not Jesus. Hello? Don't you, don't you remember Jesus? And he goes, oh, I remember. But what Jesus is doing here, he is introducing a new paradigm. He goes, that's how it's worked this entire time. But friends, what he is saying here, with this simple command, he is revolutionizing the model for how this movement would continue. This is a monumental moment in the Jesus movement because here Jesus is revealing that the leader continues his mission through his followers. Friends, this is huge. This is a defining moment 
for the church. Jesus is commissioning. That's why we call this passage the Great Commission. He is commissioning his followers with a charge. He is giving them standing orders that will shape the identity and the mission and the vision of his church until he comes back. And so there's no such thing in Jesus. There's no such thing as a church that doesn't make disciples. And so let's just say, if there is a church, if we were to say, hey guys, one, two, three, four, five, six, all right, we know we like all the people in here, us four, shut the door, no more. Like, we're just gonna really focus on us. We would be disobeying, in a very literal sense, we would be disobeying his great commission, right? If we were not preoccupied, if we took the call to make disciples, and if we made that a back burner activity for on a rainy day when we have extra time, we would be short sir, attempting to short circuit God's master plan for perpetuating the movement. Make disciples is it. This is why churches exist. This is his master plan that disciples would make disciples. Who make disciples? Who make disciples? Who make disciples? Who? You guessed it. Make disciples. This is his master plan. This is how the baton gets passed down from one generation to the next. And here's the problem, friends. And I'm talking to you as, as Sam here. Pastor Sam, I do this for a living. God has called me by his grace to preach and teach and prepare God's people for his return. Like, I do this, and I will be the first to tell you, it is so easy to neglect disciple-making and to just make people busy. Because the busier you are, the better we feel. And we just have to look in the mirror and ask ourselves, are we just training people how to be engaged in Christian activity? Or are we actually training people to sit down and from one disciple to another to train people? Here's how you live for Jesus. Here's what it looks like to follow him, to be transformed by him, and to partner with him. And so we, even as a leadership team, we have made this our, our, our utmost aim that we will not neglect disciple-making in the name of Christian busyness and activity. It's so easy. I mean, maybe because it's more visible. I don't know. I'm being honest here. But it's so easy to just train people on the four holy commandments of the Bible. Join a community group. Serve. Attend on Sunday mornings. And what else would we do? Give, Right? And how many of us have grown up in churches where we learned the metrics of church involvement while never having discipleship actually touch our souls? I'm being honest, friends. Make disciples, man. Like, put it on our foreheads. This is what it's about. And yes, there are so many things we can do with our time and other classes and programs and nonprofits and parachurch this and this and that. And we have just said we are going to be unapologetically exclusive we're just going to train people how to be disciples and make disciples. And all those other things, people that are called to do them, awesome. I love you. Go and do whatever your hand finds to do. But the leaders of this church, we're just going to focus on this. And when we get this perfect, then we'll move on. Okay? In like two months. No! This is a movement. And so we are called to make disciples. Friends, do you see making new disciples as an extracurricular activity? 
Or do you understand that this is a part, this is part and parcel with the call in your life to follow Jesus? Have you been trained? Have you ever actually been in an intentional discipleship relationship with an older Christian? If not, you're in good company. I mean, it's like this is not the norm for whatever reason. But Jesus, by his grace and by his word, he calls us back to the center. And he says, make disciples. Make disciples. And so he gives us the great commission. These are our orders. But, like every good teacher, he doesn't only give us the call. He gives us the instructions. With the great commission comes the great instructions. And so he says, make disciples. And then he gives us three, I don't want to call them steps, but three aspects of disciple making. Number one, he says, go. Pop quiz, where are the disciples currently standing as they're listening to this? Galilee, yes, you listen. And so they're standing in Galilee, and they're surrounded by who? Other followers of Jesus. They're in the holy huddle as we speak. And so he says, hey, if you're going to continue this mission, if you're going to engage in the Great Commission, then you need to go. You need to scatter. You need to rub shoulders and do life with other people who are not yet disciples. Get out there. He says, you're going to need to cross the room, as it were. You're going to need to cross the continent. You're going to need to cross the globe. If they, if we are going to make disciples and reach people who don't yet know the gospel, then we must go. Skedaddle. But we have a go mentality. You see, and so here's how we normally do things, right? In our, in our day and age, we believe that if you build it, they will come, right? Build the church. Build the building. And look, the bigger the building, the bigger our circle of influence. And look at all the people we're reaching. Like radio waves. And the problem is, according to the scriptures, that's not the church. That's the church. It's the people who have been saved And each of the people, this is every person who attends East Point Church who have submitted their address and a card. Everybody else, I need you, right? But listen, all of these people who have been saved, guess what? We all have our own circle of influence. And look at these people out here in Bosman, on Tillman Island, right? In St. Michael's, and down here in Linkwood. I mean, you guys know where Linkwood is? She does. And then there's Cambridge, right? And Goldsboro, and Marydell, and it's just like, This is the church. And so the church, when we think of it as a movement, yes, we love to gather. I will say that every day, all day, okay? We don't neglect the gathering of the saints. We need to be here on Sundays. We gather with our worshiping community. But then we scatter into our world. We are called to go and be present in your circle of influence. Engage in your community. Be present in your neighborhoods and with the people in your life. Go. There's your mission field. Go, he says. But here's what happens, and here's what happens in my life. So I'll share with you what happens in my life, and maybe you can agree with me and and feel the same way. Sometimes we treat the others in our circle of influence as props, right? Like extras on a set, like, like, the, like the scenery in a movie. They just kind of fall and blur into the background because this movie is about me, 
and what God is doing in my life. And look at what's happening in my world and the headlines and the stories. And I don't even know the name of the person who hands me my coffee because she's just an extra on the set in the movie called Me. They're just props, right? And they become blurry and they start to just fall into the background. And now, instead of seeing the other moms in the line as I wait for preschool, instead of seeing the people who hand you your coffee, instead of seeing the, and learning the names of the people scanning your groceries, instead of learning the names of your coworkers and the people that you work out with every day and your neighbors, instead of seeing them, they have just blurred into the background and they are props populating the landscape of my life. We don't see them. Here's what else I, I see happen sometimes in my life. I push it to the other extreme. Where, no, no, they're not props. I want to be hyper-intentional. I'm on a mission. I want to be on mission. And so we swing it to the other pendulum, and we start to see the others as projects. We become so hyper-intentional, and we start working them on our list, and it starts to feel like we're engaged in this multi-level marketing scheme, and people just go, ugh. It's like when your best friend starts to sell essential oils, and you're like, dang it! They got another one! Because you just start to feel like you don't even care about me. You just want me to show up to your party, right? Whether or not it's true, you can't help but feel like, dude, did every conversation and exchange just become a means to an end? Do you see me? Do you care about me, or am I just a project that you can check off and move on? And so sometimes Christians, we get this, this, this perspective that you go, you don't care about me, you just want me to buy your product, a.k.a. you want me to go to church, you want me to get religion, you want me to sign up for your Christian club, and I know that that's how you feel because as soon as I come, you go, yes, check, moving on, who's next on my list? Ah, man, Jesus was intentional, don't get me wrong but he loved people. Jesus was intentional. But when he saw the crowds, he didn't just lick his chops and go, ooh, more people, no, more projects to convert and fix. No, he genuinely cared and he weeped for them. He was filled with empathy for those who were around him because he saw them not as props, neither as projects, but as people. His heart was pricked because he saw them. He came from heaven to earth, not, not just because he was, oh, I'm lonely in heaven and we need some more followers. He came because it was for them. The sheep needed him. So Jesus, he wants to correct our vision. He wants to lead us in lives that are marked by a vivid awareness that all around us, friends, there are people to see, there are people to love, there are people to help and to get to know. There are people to whom you can ask what their story, hear their story, share your story. And if God gives you an opportunity, show them how Jesus has come to enter into both of your stories. Do you see them? He says, go. Where's your circle of influence, East Point Church? Love them. Serve them. Pray for them. Here's one of the biggest, here, here's a great barometer. Am I treating them like a project or people? Do you pray for them? If you're not praying for them, where's your heart, right? Where's my heart? Pray for them. Be there in times of need. Learn their story. 
engage in spiritual conversation. We make this so much more complicated than it needs to be. You know, I, I remember um, learning in college about this movement called Evangelism Explosion. How many of you remember Evangelism Explosion from the 80s? Okay. And the premise is we're going to explode evangelically, right? And so you go down the street and you knock on people's doors and you say, hey, if you were to die tonight, where are you going, right? Hey, do you know the Lord, your, Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Hey, let me just, that will not work in 2023, right? We have to be missionaries to our culture. If you were to go down the street and start knocking on doors, you are taking your life into your own hands. You heard it here first, all right? And so it doesn't have to be so extreme or intense. What, what about a simple, assuming you know them and you have a relationship with people and they know that you care about them and love them, as simple as, hey, did you grow up with any religion? Do you have a faith journey? Have you ever had any experiences with God? Were they positive? Were they negative? Do you believe in God? Just, I mean, spiritual conversation. And as you engage in these conversations, just listen. Be curious about the people that God is sending you to. Listen. Hear their stories. Don't just ask a question and then you're already preparing a response. Love people, he says. Go the way that I have gone into the world. And how did Jesus go into the world? With love. So go. That's the first part. But going's not enough. I mean, obviously, right? Like, to make a disciple, you can't just go and be helpful. You can't just go and love people. That's first. But look what comes next, okay? He says, I want you to make disciples by going. And then he says, baptizing. To make a disciple you need to baptize them. Doesn't mean, let me be very clear, he's not saying that the act of baptism itself makes you a believer. He's not saying that by magically touching the water, poof, you're now regenerated in your heart and soul. No, no, what he's saying is this. Baptism is an outward demonstration of inward faith and repentance, right? We know this. By getting baptized, you're declaring to the world, I have turned and I now live for Jesus. So what he's saying is, when he says baptize, he's saying, I want you, as you communicate the gospel, I want you to call people to the point of faith and repentance. I want you, in your understanding and communication of the gospel, make sure that people understand that to follow Jesus is requiring and calling for a massive pivot. And so I think of this story. I had a, a professor in Bible college, and he was a missionary. So he spent like his whole life as a missionary, and then he was on the field uh, in, in America teaching in a university, right? And so I'll never forget the story he said that when he was first a missionary to India, he thought he was just a supernaturally gifted missionary because everybody that he told about Jesus accepted Jesus. So he's telling everybody in India, Jesus came, God loves you, Jesus revealed him, and he wants you to live for him. And they go, yes. We believe in Jesus. And he goes, yes. And he goes to the next village. I want you to believe in Jesus because God came and his name is Jesus. And he goes, yes, we believe in Jesus. And he's like, look at this. Everything I touch turns to gospel gold. Boof, 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 disciples, right? Coming to find out as he's going back through the villages, he sees them worshiping to these other gods. He goes, what are you doing? I thought you worshiped Jesus now. They go, oh, we do, my friend. And they take him. There he is with all the other gods. I told them about Jesus, 
without calling them to the point of repentance and faith. We are not communicating Jesus, and he was not communicating Jesus in a way that helped them understand to follow Jesus is to exclude everything else in your life and follow him alone as Lord. Are we talking about our faith in such a way that people go, sure, I believe in Jesus now. Just add it to the list of gods and idols that I'm following. I can have a little bit of Jesus in my life and keep doing my thing. No. To follow Jesus is to leave everything else behind and follow him. And when they say, but won't that hurt? We'll say, yes, but it will be worth it. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We call people to this point of faith and repentance. And when they come to that point of surrender, we baptize them as a public declaration of that faith. Friend, have you come to the point of putting your faith in Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus? Have you, and you're not perfect, none of us are perfect, but have you come to that point in, the, in, the, uh, in your life where you've drawn a line in the sand, you say, hey, you know what? I no longer follow that, I follow him. If that's you, let me tell you what Jesus told the disciples to tell me to tell you. Get baptized. I'm just passing it on, all right? I'm not dropping the, get baptized. Pastor Ronnie is going to be teaching a class next week if you're interested in learning more. Just after this gathering, we have two young ladies who are going to go public with their faith through baptism because we're making disciples. We make disciples by going to the people that he's put in our life, by baptizing them, calling them to the point of faith and repentance, and then finally by teaching them. Do you know how easy it is to teach people what Jesus said? (laughs) It's so easy. I mean, you can do it on a blog. You can stand on the corner of wherever there's sidewalks around here with a sandwich board and just literally, you can communicate what Jesus said all day so easily. It is so easy to tell people what Jesus said. But that's not what he tells us to do. He doesn't say, teach them what I said. No, no, no. Look carefully. What does he say? He says, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. See, you can teach people what Jesus said in the classroom. But if you're going to teach them how to actually obey and live out what he said, that requires mentorship. This dynamic requires us, more mature followers of Jesus, to invite and include younger, less mature followers of Jesus into our lives, inviting them into a relationship marked by trust and love so that they can glean and learn how to obey Jesus. Following Jesus is not intuitive. Being a good dad is not intuitive. You don't wake up and you're like, I'm selfless today. Yes, I'm generous. I love the Bible. I'm a good neighbor. These are not intuitive. And so Jesus makes it very clear. Teach them how to obey. Don't just go and baptize them and leave them alone. That's how you create cults. Give them the gospel. Give them just enough to understand that he's there and then walk away and never teach them what to do with it. Come back in 15 years to that village. See what's going on there, right? You come back and like, we wrote the third testament. Are you proud of us? You're like, oh, dear God. Teach them to obey. Invite people into your life. And so if you're here this morning and you're newer to the faith, YouTube is cool. 
I want to tell you that YouTube is cool. TikTok is whatever. But you need mentors. You need people. Not that you can just hear their words, but you can follow their lives. Where are my students at? Teenagers, listen to me. Yo, TikTok is dope. I get it. Content galore. Book talk all day. But listen, you don't know their lives. And so if you're listening to TikTok more than you are to real life and flesh people in your church who love Jesus, you might be in danger. You need older people in your life who can say, follow me as I follow Christ, okay? To my more mature followers of Jesus, where my veterans at, listen, who are you including in your life? Older women, who are the younger women, the younger moms, the, the, the soon-to-be moms? Who are you inviting in your life? Older men, who are the younger men that you're sitting down with, including in your life? Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2.7, he goes, we were so affectionately desirous of you that we were willing not only to share the word, but to share our very lives. He goes, I'm not just going to give you the Bible. I'm going to include you at my table. Friends, this is what it's about. A relational, disciple-making culture where there is enough love and trust where we can do life together and you have permission to fail. And you have permission to sin. And you have permission to show us just how unperfect you are in my house. And I will love you anyway. And let me show you how it's done. Let me show you what it looks like to fail and sin and repent. Let me show you what it looks like to apologize to my wife when I'm a butthead with a capital B. Okay? But you're the pastor. I have a microphone. I'm a disciple of Jesus who just so happens to be a pastor. This is my gift, just like you have your gift. And so I'm contributing my gift right now from the platform. And when I step down, I'm just a dude, and I take out the trash, and I raise my kids. I'm trying to follow Jesus. Are you? Yes. So let's do it together. He says, teach them to obey. Bring them into your life. Include them. May we never be a church that's just polite at the door. You see this? We're saying hi. No, we're not. We're stiff arming. All right? We're doing arms. Hello, brother and sister. No, even crick in the elbow. What is that? Dude, two arms open kind of church, friends. We do this thing. Uh, dude, Donna, Donna Roser and Scotty Bruce, two of our most beautiful ministry partners filled with hospitality, they have people in their home for these connect groups. And every session, they'll hear, they'll hear people say, I've never, like, been in the home of another person from our church. And I'm just like, what are we doing? I'll tell you what we're not doing. We're not making disciples. If we just give you a lecture for 30 minutes a week and then send you on your way, do you hear what I'm saying, friends? Make disciples, he says. Make disciples. The two most important questions I can ask you, who are you discipling and who's discipling you? Not kind of in a weird, generic, well, you know, I'm like a good example in their life. No, no, no. Who are you sitting down with and intentionally and relationally saying, here's how you follow Jesus. Let's read the Bible together. Let's talk about it. Let's pray together. Let's talk through your questions. Things like that, you know? That's the kind of church we want to be. Because when Jesus comes back, he's going to say, how did you do with my last command to make disciples? When Jesus comes back, friends, and it could be any moment now, it could be a thousand years from now. Whatever it is, may we be found faithful making disciples. 
And then here's the final promise. He goes, as you engage in this mission, I'm not sending you alone. Oh, this is the best part. Look what he says. He goes, as you go, know this. I am with you always to the end of the age. And so for all of my insecure brothers and sisters like me, for all of my fearful brothers and sisters like me, for everybody else who's like me who says, how can I possibly do this? He goes, no, I'm sending you, but you're not alone. Because as you go, it's me going before you. As you call people to a point of faith and repentance, it's my spirit who's working in people's hearts, awakening them from death to life. And as you teach them, it's my spirit in your midst that is making this word come alive. Jesus is doing the mission. This is not a pep rally to try harder, be better, and make disciples. No, this is a call to recognize he's with us. And so we will work and be intentional. We will toil with all of the strength that we have, but not my might, his might that he powerfully works within me. Work out your fear and salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. Do you see the partnership here? Make disciples, church. Make disciples. May we grow in maturity. May we grow as people who engage the mission by going, baptizing, and teaching. And all of God's people said, Amen. Father, be with us, we pray, in this endeavor. Bless our efforts, Father. Give us eyes to see people. Give us hearts to love people. Father, I pray that you would heal us of our relational wounds that cause us to have reactive souls and to keep people at arm's length distance. Lord, make us a relational church. Holy Spirit, soften our hearts and open our homes so that we would share our lives with one another. We love you, Father. We praise you in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeason.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.